Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his greatness, of his of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. We are a thinned herd now after that, but uh, glad you're with us. Uh, we, you, I don't know how you felt when we, um, we first started to sing some of those uh, Christmas songs this morning, but maybe for most of us, for many of us, you know, Christmas brings up lots of good feelings. I was reading this week about the uh, province of Nova Scotia that for the last 40 years, they've been sending a tree to the city of Boston, like all lit up and everything. Like I can't, UPS is like licking their chops, right, at this, like the duty fees and whatever. But because in 1917, there was a massive explosion in Halifax and the city of Boston helped uh, the city of uh, Halifax. And so Nova Scotia for the last 40 years has been giving them a tree. They gave them one in 1918 and they've given them for the last 40 years. So stories like that. Maybe you're familiar with the, um, the uh, Christmas uh, truce of 1914. In World War I, where British, French, and German troops um, stopped fighting in the wakes, in the days leading up to Christmas, and actually began to to sing songs together, to swap prisoners, to release prisoners mutually, and even to play football together. And uh, and there's stories like that that come at this time of year that often warm our hearts because Christmas is one of those seasons of good feelings. We're actually in a season um, of Advent, which is the season leading up to the Christmas season where we prepare, and, and Advent has lots of positive associations and words with it, like, um, you know, expectancy and anticipation and, and, and the waiting. And so we can kind of think, oh, yeah, that's good because something good is coming, and so we're feeling good about it. But Advent has wrapped up in it a word which maybe doesn't have as many positive um, associations with it, and that's the word waiting, which, you know, I know maybe some of you that's an exciting word, but for most people... Waiting is not a positive word, right? And you may, as, as I'm even talking about that, even as you're thinking about what do we wait for, like I am, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at waiting. I, I don't, like Dave was saying the other day, like I roll, I'm that person that rolls through stop signs. Some of you were like, I never honk at slow drivers in front of you, but in front of me, but some people honk at me. That might be me, like if it were, I happen to be on the way to church at the same time. That might be me. I've thought that sometimes. Like, what if that's someone from church and I'm honking at them? Like, I am really bad at waiting. I'm impatient. Um, some of you, like someone was telling me the other day, like when they order something from Amazon or whatever, and they get the email, they go and check the tracking, like 30 seconds after they ordered it, as if somehow it's shipped. And like some of you are waiting for stuff and you're clicking refresh, like every day. There's stuff that you're waiting for. It brings to mind these things that we are kind of hoping to get and like, you know, and, and I suppose we can maybe make fun of ourselves a little bit and even, even, you know, scold ourselves a bit for being so impatient, right? We can all sort of relate to that and say, yeah, you know, I, I, I could probably be a bit more patient, the things I'm 
waiting for. And then there's things that we're waiting for that are like, yeah, I know I don't really need that. You know, it's not like, like Christmas is the time of shiny objects, right, that promise to sort of give us that sense of excitement. And so we're waiting for it. We're like, no, I don't really need it. I'm waiting. I'm expecting to get something good at Christmas. I don't really need it because clearly I'm okay today. And a week from now, if I get it, I'll still be the same me. So maybe I don't need to do that. But there are other uh, things that we wait for that um, are much deeper. Maybe some of you are waiting, even as you come in this morning, you're waiting for God to provide for you. Like the job situation, the job market, your job journey has been a tough one. And you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just waiting for things to come through. Financially, things are tight. Vocationally, things feel unfulfilled. I'm waiting for a break, any break. Like just even the smallest thing that other people seem to get, I'm waiting for that. Some of you are waiting to see your health sort of turn in a better direction or to get test results back that are, that are going to be negative and that are going to help you sort of feel better about it. Some of you are waiting for that for loved ones, for people in your life. Some of us are waiting for someone. Someone to come around or someone to come back around. Waiting for a relationship or a family kind of ongoing conflict to resolve. And those kinds of, of waits, they come with a weight. You know, like while you while you stand. Like the longer you wait, the heavier it gets. And the longer the wait, as you're in a season, a period of waiting, where it feels well past the time that something was supposed to change. It feels well past what you would say is the point of no return. Maybe there's been moments along the way, like if it can only come through here, here, and it just keeps going, it just keeps going, it just keeps going, and the weight just gets heavier while you wait. What happens in it, if you find yourself in a situation like this, where you can't move forward, you're stuck, the heaviness of the weight starts to create pain in your life. Some of you have pain. Some of us maybe even have physical pain because of other relational things that are going on that we are waiting for, things that we're stuck in. Sometimes when we wait with a weight, bitterness, anger can, can creep in. Not always, but it can over time with the situation, the circumstance, the person who's not coming around, the person who's not seeing us or noticing us. And sometimes when we wait, especially when it's a long wait, it just begins to consume us entirely, and it's all we can think about. It's all we can pray about. It's probably most painful when it's like if somebody said, well, here, you have to hold this while you wait. You said, well, how long do I have to hold it for? Well, I don't know. Well, when will I get to put this down? Well, I don't know. Will I get to put this down? I don't know. It's, it's a particular heavy weight, I think, for people of faith, right? Because we think, well, God, like, you must see this. You must know this. You are the one that we worship, the one that is able, the one that is strong, stronger than anything, the one who has overcome evil and darkness and pain. You, you must see this. And you must be able to do something. So why am I still waiting? 
how come things haven't changed? How come the breakthrough hasn't come? How come someone hasn't come and lifted this and carried this and gotten rid of it? And how come the door hasn't opened? And how come provision hasn't come? What's interesting is the season of Advent is actually part of the Christian calendar. And the reason we follow the Christian calendar is because it's not our calendar. By that I mean the Christian calendar leads us into seasons that otherwise we wouldn't bother with because we have our own agenda for how our calendar needs to go. Yet the season of Advent is a season that invites us to wait. It actually gets to the thing that really none of us would choose. Like, if you think about it, whatever it is that you're waiting for, you wouldn't really choose to wait, right? I mean, sometimes you think, well, waiting builds the anticipation. But, and maybe you've heard well-meaning sort of advice or words from other people in your situation of waiting that say, well, you know, God must be doing something and it'll be better and you'll be able to look back and know that it was worth it. And you're going, no, I don't feel that at all. Or I felt that two years ago. But that doesn't sound like good advice anymore. That doesn't sound true anymore. We wouldn't choose to wait. We would just choose for the thing to happen. The person, the circumstance, the provision, the break, the dollars, the, the good health, the open door. And yet Advent is this season. The word actually comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means arrival. It's something that the Christian church has practiced since the 6th century. And it is, it is the idea of expectancy or anticipation or preparation for the arrival of Jesus. And yet it is a season that invites us, in a sense, to intentional waiting, a waiting that we choose. It somehow is meant to help us understand every other thing that we wait and that we expect and we long for. So my hope is actually as we enter in today and the next week, that this will be a season of some kind of experience of waiting that God is actually bringing you into that you will find during the Christmas season to be just what we wait for, which is a gift. That this is, the season is a gift to you wherever you are. Whatever your faith background is, whatever your story is, whether you're in a season of waiting right now, whether you're walking alongside someone who is, or you're about to head into it, and you have no idea what's around the corner. See, we, we go back, in a sense, to the story of when Jesus first arrived, not as a way of just kind of remembering what happened to other people. Oh, yeah, those people who had to wait for Jesus. But as Kate actually said this morning, that story is our story. Like, as we go back, it's not just to look back in history, though it is history. It's actually to understand our own story and what is happening running right through the, the middle of our lives from ancient days long ago. See, God's people <clears throat> at that time was sort of one nation, and the goal was that it was spread to every nation so that all nations would be God's people. God's people were waiting. And, and they were waiting for um, political, religious economic freedom. And around the time of 700 BC, as they were going into captivity in Babylon, their prophet Isaiah had, had said this to them. And these were words that was read for us this morning that would have been repeated for them often. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Why? For to us a child is born, 
To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. They heard these words in 700 BC about through the prophet Isaiah as they were going into Babylonian captivity. That this idea that one day the government, the new government would come and that government would give them political and religious and economic freedom. It would restore their identity. It would be what they were hoping for and waiting for. And yet Babylon comes and then Persia comes and then Alexander the Great and the Greek army comes and then Rome. And hundreds of years passed. In fact, after Isaiah, there were a few more prophets over the next 300 years, and the prophets were like these little um, sort of, you know, they didn't like them oftentimes because they didn't like what they were saying, but they were still saying, oh, God is speaking to us. God's still talking to us, and there's still hope. And oftentimes the prophets would bring like a heavy word, but also hope with it. And then at around 400 BC, the prophets stopped speaking, and there were no more prophets in Israel for 400 years. And so now, the words of Isaiah that they would have read, I don't know, would they have gotten old over time? Because they would have said, oh, you know, don't worry, the government is, a new government is coming, a new leader is coming who's going to lift the burdens of this government. And, and Rome would have been probably the worst <laughs> to bear. They say that the taxation that the Romans exacted on the places that they occupied were so heavy, like upwards close to 90 to 95%, to the point that people actually couldn't pay the taxes. And what happened is if you didn't pay the taxes, you'd have to sell your land to the Romans, and then they would hire you back basically for pittance as a slave to work on the land that you once owned. Or children would have been had to given, be given away as slaves. So the taxation was heavy. They were not allowed really to have their own sort of religious freedom, or they would, but every so often it would result in an uprising. And then there were bands of people that were saying, this isn't right, we've got to overthrow them. So then there was violence and tension. And there was ethnic tension too, as Rome was, not Rome was trying to make everybody citizens of Rome and wanted everyone to be like them. And so they were living under this burden, and maybe they would have kept going back to the words of Isaiah, but even then, don't words like that after a long time start to actually not to become hopeful, but like salt in the wound? Oh yeah, a new government would be nice, but it's been 700 years. I mean, no one's alive anymore that heard those words the first time. And so they get passed on, but as you know, over time, things get forgotten. And so there may be some people that were waiting for something to change, but maybe other people were like, well, this is just the way it is. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, Matthew in his gospel tells us this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the one, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they had sex, before they were married, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Maybe the most loaded line in all of Scripture. Um, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, which the law said, if a woman who was betrothed or married had sexual relations with another man, she had to die. He, was, he knew the law, but he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I'm just going to get out of this. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew writes this, quoting Isaiah chapter 7. All this took place to fulfill, 700 years earlier, what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you've been through a Christmas story before, if you were raised in the church at all, even if you have, even if you weren't, but you have some familiarity, you would have known, okay, yeah, Virgin Mary, birth, like Jesus, this is how it happens. But I think we could say this if we stopped long enough to think about it. In no way, shape, or form is this what Joseph was waiting for. This is not anything he had dreamed about. He had dreamed about stability, a wife, maybe some children, hopefully if God is gracious to me because those children can help me because I'm a carpenter and they can take over my business and then when I'm old, like there's no RSP, so this is my old age security is having children and they'll be able to look after me as I get older and we'll just be peaceful and we'll live in this small town, Nazareth and We'll carve out a good life for ourselves. That's what he's waiting for. He's not waiting for an unfaithful fiance, a bastard child, and public shame and humiliation. No way, no how. And we're looking at this going, oh, but like, don't you see? Like, this is the virgin. Like, your future wife is the virgin that's pregnant. He's like, how, how could she be pregnant? Because she's a virgin. And God's like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, that's how... You know, but he's not thinking, oh, this is great news. So he does what you and I would totally do. How can I get out of this? This is nothing but bad. I cannot believe this story. This does not look like God is answering any prayer I've ever prayed. And do we know that he was even waiting for the hope, for the promise? I mean, the, the, the angel saying, like, this is, this is the son, Jesus. He will save his people from their sins, and he will be God with us. But at first, Joseph's like, doesn't want anything to do with it until he has this dream. Why? Because if you don't know what you're waiting for, you might miss when it arrives. Right? If you don't know what you're waiting for, you might miss it when it's happening right in front of you. And so the angel has to have this dream with Joseph and say, hey, pay attention. This is not what you were expecting but she's expecting. See, this is the difference in a sense, and Richard Rohr, who uh, wrote this book in preparation for Advent, calls out the difference between expectation, expectation, and what Advent is about, which is expectancy. See, expectation is, God, I need this to happen. Right? It's not what Joseph was expecting. Joseph's like, no, this is not what I expect from my betrothed. This is not even what I expect from God, that God would do this. How is this a good answer to the plan? This means public disgrace for me and my wife for our whole lives. Like if I say yes to this, saying yes to this 
even to say, okay, I'll accept this, was not actually launching Joseph into this beautiful story of redemption. For him, it was going to be hard, and he was not going to actually know whether it was even true until much later. He was just going to have to go on faith and say, fine, I will live with the public humiliation and disgrace. I will take her in. People will figure it out. People will do the math. So there goes my reputation. There goes my wife's reputation. And my son is going to grow up with a reputation. And in fact, we know he did because it's later on in Jesus' life where some people said, oh, yeah, we know who you are. We know it's your story. It's not what Joseph was expecting. And oftentimes Christmas can teach us to be people with expectations. God, I deserve this. I just thought if I prayed about this long enough, I had enough people pray for me. I thought if I obeyed you, things would actually work out for me, but it doesn't seem to be. Like, God, I've given, but you haven't given back. God, I've given, but financially we're tight. God, I've tried to, I actually did what was right in that situation. I lost my job because of it, or I lost my spouse because of it, or I lost out because of it. So much of our own experience of Christmas teaches us to expect things from God. Now, I don't mean to say that whatever it is that you're waiting for is, oh, shame on you. You're being childish. You're being... We wait for the things that are on our heart that are deepest and closest to us. So I don't mean to say that to expect something is, in a sense, wrong in us, but it is entirely different than what it means to have expectancy. Joseph had expectations, and God blew apart his expectations. said, so don't you see what I'm doing? You want a comfortable life. You want a child who's going to take over your business and care for you. I'm giving you a child that will save his people from their sins. I'm giving you a child that will be God with us. I'm giving you that child. Unto us a child is born. I'm giving you the child on whose shoulders a new government, a new world order will rest. It's not at all what you were expecting but I want you to be expectant for what I am about to do. What, what, what that means, friends, is, is the things that you and I wait for, that we long for, that we stall out in, that we grieve over, that we shed tears over, that we pray for hours over, that we anguish over, that we have pain over. They're not things to be dismissed, and God doesn't scold us for longing for them, but they are clues, they are signposts, they are pointers to a deeper longing that every one of us has, that whatever we get there could never satisfy. See, underneath all of our longings is the deepest yearnings of our heart to be loved, to be forgiven, to be given a new hope, to be given purpose in life to be given actually a new way to live, not just daily bread. Those desires are meant to point us to say, you know what, even if I got this, because I know for me, there's things that I knew I wanted in the depths of my heart, that even after I got them, that didn't stop me wanting. I, I still wanted other things. And there are people who have the thing that you right now say, if I could get that, I would be fine, and they want other things, because it doesn't stop. Because the human heart is a bottomless pit of longing, of waiting. And all of these things that we wait for are pointers. They are signs to say, God may or may not give you that. 
But to Joseph, he said, I have given you the thing that you may not have been looking for or longing for, but it is the thing you need most. It is myself. God gave us himself. Joseph was hoping for stability, steadiness, and a good family. And God says, I'm going to give you me. You are going to be the father of the son that will hold the world on his shoulders. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And this isn't a God with us like, may the force be with you, you know? Like this general vague feeling of, oh, God is up there somewhere. You know, we, even in Christmas, we think about that, angelic messengers, God up there, whatever. Look how Jesus came. This is why it was so hard for Joseph to even comprehend and really so hard for everyone who even encountered Jesus to understand. We're like, no, no, we know where you're from. Like, how could you be? You have no, you have no military skill. The Bible says actually there was nothing about him even physically that would make people look at him and say, there goes a, a, a man with potential. He said he wasn't even nice looking. He didn't have anything, any thing physically in him that we would look at him and say, there's a champ. No apparent military skill. He was a poor man, born to a poor family, living hand to mouth. He had no political office or power, and he had no army with him. A bunch of ragtag people from the backwater town of Galilee. There was nothing in the way Jesus was given to the world that would make the world think, oh yeah, you fit our expectation. And what does that mean? <laughs> It means that as you and I, like them, were waiting, God actually sent Jesus onto this side. And Christ himself put himself under the weight of a human body. You ever feel like your own body is just broken? Like it's got limitations that you can't seem to get past? Jesus put himself under the weight of living in an ordinary human body and one that wasn't quite spectacular at all. He put himself under the weight of living under a government that taxed him and his parents so heavily. For 30 years, right, he grew up as a carpenter's son in that home. He would have felt the sharp edge of the Roman taxation system. He would have known poverty. He put himself under the weight. He didn't first come and blow off, throw off the chains of poverty for all my friends and everyone around. He actually came and put himself under the weight being a poor man in a poor family and being unknown, unnoticed, of no interest at all. We know that because nobody wrote anything about the first 30 years, except for the first few days. He put himself under the weight of temptation. He put himself under the weight of the brokenness of this world. Which means that you and I worship a God who has come onto this side of eternity, onto this side of reality, who understands exactly what it is to wait. Who didn't come with a plan to throw it all off at first, but actually come to make himself like us the scriptures say, in every way. And to help us see that actually 
we don't know who we're looking for, we might miss that he is right there with us. Like in those seasons of waiting, you know, and I was reflecting on this just even in my own life, the frustration of feeling the incomplete nature of life. Do you ever feel that? Like, God, when is this going to resolve? When are the things, my labors, the things, the dreams that you have put in my own heart, the hopes that I have, when are they going to come around and complete? And, and the answer, in a sense, the fullness answer to that question we're going to talk about next week. But in that place of waiting where we carry the weight and it becomes all-consuming, what we miss, in a sense, is Jesus himself with us right next to us the opportunity to say, and we know that's true because that's exactly how he came the first time. Putting himself under the weight of everything that those around him were carrying. And so my encouragement to you this Christmas season, like Kurt said, you know, it's, it's crazy how the busyness of this all just catches us every year and every year we think, how does it get so crazy? Well, we still have a few weeks and this is still a season. It's not a season actually driven by the retail calendar. It's not a season driven by what, you know, 99.9 or whoever plays Christmas carols when they start. It's not what drives the season. Christian calendar is nothing like the Christmas calendar. It's a season of waiting, of invitation. And my encouragement to you is that at Christmas time, it, like to get out of the line. Not to reject or let go of what you are hoping for but to simply say, God, I do not want to live with trying to get you to see my world and get you to be God on my terms. Because he will not be. And many of us are disappointed with God because we found him to be not a God on our terms. But if he was, then he wouldn't be God. We would. To get out of the line is to say, okay, I'm not going to confine you to certain ways of working and expect you to do this or to that. I'm going to live in expectancy and say, what I need most is what you have given, which is yourself. I want to move from expectation to expectancy. I want to stop thinking about what and start looking for who. I want to actually look for you if you can be found. Because if you don't know who you're wait waiting for, you might miss him. And I said, oh God, I do not want to miss your appearing this season. I want you to rescue me from the obsession and the pain and the all-consuming nature of waiting for whatever it is I'm waiting for and bring me out into a wide open space where I cannot put con confinements on you, where I cannot say you must work this way or you have to work this way. Or I simply say, you are God, I am not. I need you more than I need anything. So come. It is the one-word invitation of the one-word song that we sing to God at Advent. Come, come. We just sang it, I need you, every hour. And so the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song. It's an old song. It's a Christmas song. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. And there's a line in it that says, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. I just want to, I don't know about you, but I want God to give me the desire of my heart, the true desire of my heart, which is him. I want him to make me aware that what I long for really is, is not all those other things, although I may be waiting still. What I long for is what I need most, which is actually what he offers freely. And so really our prayer is simply to say, Jesus, help us long 
for what is best. Help us wait for you. So let's stand and sing together.